and welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This is Abraham. And I am your co-host, Ryan O. Yeah. Um, and so today we are tackling an issue that is probably close to some of your hearts and your fingers and your hair, um, <laughs> which is a, a habit reversal. Yeah. So let's um, let's start by talking about what do we mean by habit reversal and then probably even break it down a little bit further into just what do we mean by habit because that can be kind of big term. And so we just want to specify habit reversal and specifically talking about habit reversal therapy or HRT. Yes. So if we use HRT, just habit reversal therapy. Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, habit reversal is pr- it. Uh, you have the article on here. Um, how do you talk about that? Um, yeah. All pulled up, but uh, it's a behavioral intervention, and it's specifically intended to reverse the kind of rewards or consequences that are influencing the existence of a particular habit. Does, does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, we and so what we're really going to do is going to break down what are the steps of this, a little bit of the history of it, and um, you know what what research has been done, some of the cool studies that we found, um, and. So I think it's worth starting just talking about like what is a habit. Yeah. So um, the kind of source article that we're going with here was Azrin and what's the last name? Nun. Nun. Yeah. Yeah. 1973. 1973. That's right. They present uh, a rationale in the article as to like why these nervous habits kind of originally start. And they call them a nervous habit in here. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they all fall as nervous. Do you know? I, I, I don't know. I guess no. maybe, maybe not. I guess yeah. they probably used differently. I know the habit that I'm going to talk about later, I don't think it was a nervous habit. I think it okay. just, I think it got, sh- it just started to build over time. It's okay. like something I did when I was to sort of fidget, you know? Yeah. So they, they kind of talk about that there's really only two ways. Uh, they break it down into two ways of which it kind of generally shapes up. Um, and it could be some sort of extreme event such as physical injury or psychological trauma can occur. Um, and the symptom or the behavior starts as a result of that, mm-hmm. um, which I think some of them uh, may start that way. That kind of logically makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, now, or the flip side uh, is that they start as some sort of infrequent but normal behavior, and they kind of increase in frequency and change in form over time. Sure. Which I think is probably what a lot of us have experienced m- more of or can relate more to. Uh, yeah, potentially. And so some of the things that have been targeted um, as effectively being treated by this idea of habit reversal are things like um, fingernail biting, uh, people who like maybe chew on the skin around their fingernails, stuttering, tick disorder, uh, thumb sucking. And then another one I found was uh, it's called trichotillomania. And that's when there are sometimes people who will pull out uh, hair. They'll pull out the hairs in their head or uh-huh. their eyelashes, eyelashes or their yeah. eyebrows. And uh, oftentimes they'll suck on it or they'll even eat it um, or they'll just pull them out um, because they don't have to eat it. And so all of these things have been targeted. You found, did you find any others? Uh, shoulder jerking was another or okay. um, kind of elbow flapping or any hand sort of related movements as well. Yeah. That's uh, what I also found. And was all of those were in the, the source article too that we're kind of talking from. Cool. Great. And I think other – I mean a, a lot of people will find that they even do weird little – movements throughout the day, uh, mm-hmm. uh, people who uh, maybe scratch a lot or something like that, uh, that these, uh, or maybe even like little shakes, they like shake their legs. I, like shake, that. I shake my leg at least like five or six hours a day. It's yeah. Be something crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think all of those could potentially fall in the category of 
uh, things that would be effectively treated with this habit reversal therapy. Yeah. Um, but those ones that we listed are the, are the primary ones for which there's like some good research behind it and all yeah. that. So I want to hit it real quick. So we talked about how they can kind of come up as a result of some sort of like event, whether it's traumatic or not, yeah. um, or they can kind of shape up slowly over time. Um, what they kind of define it as and what I like about it is uh, to kind of understand like when it becomes a habit is that it's either in some sort of unusual form, uh, like after that event's already happened or as it shapes up, or uh, its frequency has been altered, like its, it's frequency increases. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's not something that just happens, you know, a few times, but mm-hmm. that frequency increases as well. So that's kind of the two main parts there. Okay. So to qualify as a habit, it needs to happen pretty common, pretty frequently and on a regular basis. Yeah, and outside of that original context, which kind of started it up. Some of the things that uh, – we'll get into some of the steps of what habit reversal sort of looks like and, and then especially kind of how it works. Um, but I, I wanted to speak to – I looked at a few articles that I found on this – and one really great one, they did a review of research that's been done on habit reversal and was specifically with the trichotillomania or the hair pulling that I mentioned. Okay. And what they found was on these across these studies, there was a 99% reduction, <laughs> which is crazy high yeah. uh, for people who uh, were engaging or uh, doing this trichotillomania thing or this hair pulling thing, a 99% reduction in the group that had the habit reversal. And... Um, there was another group they had that had no, uh, no practice, um, and I'm, I don't remember if they exactly had the uh, like some element of habit reversal or just none at all. Um, they had about a 50% reduction in their – maybe a little more than that. Um, but what's really cool in this experiment group, the one that had the habit reversal therapy, was that when they went back and checked almost two years later and still had a completely suppressed – uh, version uh, or suppressed levels of this trichotillomania. Yeah. Uh, the original article that I read, they had 12 clients included. What was really cool is they took, uh, I believe the range was somewhere, don't quote me exactly, but from uh, like six years old to 63 mm-hmm. or something like that. Cool. Um, they had uh, obviously education levels that varied as well up to a master's level student at the time. And of the 12, um, the virtually almost all of them they said was eliminated in the first day of this treatment. Wow. And their follow-up, they had 11 of the clients successfully follow up at Mm -hmm. their criteria. Um, The one that didn't follow up was not running the procedures as described. Uh Um, So it made sense as to why. So for everyone that was running the procedures, it it was there. So it was a little better than 99%. It was actually 100. Wow. If you look at it that way. That's great. (laughs) Right? That's very impressive. Yeah. Hard, hard to find, you know, and the, the, I know the study I looked at was a randomized control trial, had something like 500 participants or something where, and but that was a lot of them. Like there was actually a whole bunch of these studies I found where they were mostly reporting pretty similar results. Yeah. Um, so th- it seems to be, um, and the evidence is really there, like this is like one of the most effective therapies that you can use for some of the, for habit reversal. Yeah, and the study I was looking at, the original one was on uh, like a single subject design too, so they okay. kind of looked at both levels. So, oh, cool. So we have different, yeah. even study designs, they all show in the same thing. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Um, another thing uh, I looked at was they compared, there, there were some drugs that they looked at, I'm going to try and pronounce this, uh, <laughs> cl- clomipramine, I think, or clomipramine maybe, that were, those were prescribed drugs to try and handle the uh, the tick or mm-hmm. the behavior or whatever the habit was that they were trying to reduce. And what they found was that they had three groups. There was the habit reversal therapy group. There was the 
the clomipramine uh, drug group, and then there was mm-hmm. a placebo group. And we haven't talked about placebos on here, but basically what that means is it was a, a false drug that they gave them. It, it didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, but the, the person who was taking it didn't know that. And so that way they could compare if doing something that was like a misleading drug versus mm-hmm. one that was supposed to be effective. If the effective one was really effective, it should per- outperform the one that was uh, pretend. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll, we'll have to do, I think, maybe a more in-depth like a description placebo. of what a placebo is. Yeah, yeah, we'll do an episode on that. Um, but the uh, what they found was that the that drug, the cl- clomipramine, I keep trying to say it, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not getting hard, any closer, yeah. <laughs> um, was just as effective as the placebo, which means that it was really no more effective than just telling someone, like, this will cure you, and then handing them a you know, bottle of snake oil. Yeah. Um, so, But the, ha- the habit reversal therapy was uh, vastly outperformed those, again, with those huge reductions in the rates that they saw. Yeah, and uh, that was one of the theoretical views that Azrin um, and Nunn included as well. They were looking at it was essentially the same thing. Cool. They said that uh, some folks tried looking at it through using tranquilizing or laxant drugs. Right. Is what they used. And <laughs> like, oh, you uh, you have a bad stutter. Here's some morphine. Yeah. Just go well, to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea was that it was a result of tension, so that the tension was the essentially the mechanism that was causing I this see. sort of um, habit. So that's why they went with that sort of route. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. So that I guess it, that brings up a good point that when we're talking about like a tick disorder. Um, and stuttering and stuff like that, these involve usually very simple, very fast um, motor movements. Mm-hmm. It'll be like a really fast twitch mm-hmm. or a jerk or something like that. Oh, I actually saw another one. They did look at this for um, Tourette syndrome as well. Okay. Uh, there, was some, there was some research indicating that this could be effective for individuals with Tourette syndrome, um, specifically with um, – because Tourette's actually does not always – show up as swearing after that's pretty uncommon mm-hmm. um, but can show up as other types of tics um, and so like there can be eye twitches or mouth twitches or things like that and uh, so the habit reversal has there's been some really good research showing it being basically just as effective as these other things um, and those can be really disruptive for people like it can you don't want to go out and talk to people because you're afraid you're gonna, yeah. you know do one of these things that there's yeah. weird little twitch um, twitches that can happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, some of those things that, uh, that I found in, in the research really showed like, this is basically the most effective thing. And actually I'm a little bit peripherally aware of some research that's looked at, like there really isn't a good treatment for Tourette. Like there's almost, okay. there's almost nothing that you can do to, to treat Tourette syndrome. So this has been a pretty helpful intervention for people who suffer cool. from that yeah yeah i've not practically been involved in any Tourette cases oh um I, I think i have indirectly actually i know for a fact that i'm working with an individual now who has um a Tourette syndrome but okay. um a Tourette syndrome, that's yeah. Tourette syndrome it's not like a, you get a variety of them um yeah. <laughs> but you know what's interesting too in Tourette is that the the form of the twitch that they have can actually change um, sort of over the course of time. And so it can move from different body parts and it can be okay. more or less severe. One more thing. So I think we want to get into pretty quick here uh, what the steps are for habit reversal. We've been <laughs> telling you how great it is all this time and not how to do it. Um, one thing I want to touch on real quick before we go is one of the other things that is great about this, besides the fact that it's really effective, is that um, this actually doesn't require very much in terms of needing a therapist to actually be there. Mm-hmm. Like you want some training and stuff like that, but once you have the tools, you can just kind of do this on your own yeah. and follow the steps. Yeah, having a support network um, can easily help you with this sort of thing. Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, family, friends, coworkers, right. um, any, anyone like that's including your support network. I always define support network real quick as uh, 
anyone who's there that you can trust to help you out. Sure. Cool. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the individual can really take a lot of control and then they're spending less time, you know, with a therapist, they're spending less money having to see a therapist. Once they've got this, uh, this tool, they know how to use it. Then, um, they can, it helps them. And a good therapist really should teach them like if something were to come up and there's something new you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you go about approaching that? So it's not just like, how do you deal with this one thing right now? Mm -hmm. How do you approach this in the future? Yes. And it's, I mean, relatively you know, fast and easy. I, yeah. I don't think, you know, we're going to go over the steps of it here. Mm-hmm. Don't know, don't expect that you'll be able to walk away from this and, and be, you know, have every tool that you need and you'll be perfectly successful. It's probably still best to get like some really good practice with a trained professional who can sure. troubleshoot and really go over anything that comes up for you uh, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty close to a, what I call a behavioral technology. So it's kind of yeah. packaged in a way. Right. Um, so it'll plug for a future episode we're going to dive into as That's well. That's right. So, um, what, uh, what are the steps you actually, in the original article, they had, um, a bunch of steps. I don't think that those are always included in the current version of this. So what did you find for the steps of this? Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely going to include this in the, the, the notes, the show notes. Okay. Um, cause it is just so succinct. Like, uh, yeah. when I was doing the research beforehand, I was diving into this, like the article and I was like, Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And I just basically copy and paste it all over and reread it. Yeah. Like from my notes myself. It's almost um, like a, like a clickbait <laughs> headline. Five, yeah. five ways to stop your terrible habits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there was clickbait back then, yeah. It would have been <laughs> Well, maybe so, should just title the episode that five ways to stop your terrible habit. Yeah. So yeah, they looked at five different things. So the first thing was uh, that they should learn to become aware of the occurrence of the habit. Okay. Um, the second thing. Well, hitting, hold on. Before you even go on the second thing, wouldn't you think that people would know that they're just doing this already? Right. So the the idea is is that it starts to shape up. You maybe notice it, mm-hmm. um, but over time, the the tick can actually. Um, come to be like naturally reinforced the process of engaging in it itself um so do reinforces you, and strengthens it and that there, i guess there's a few things there well i was just gonna say i think a a common way that people might talk about that being like it's unconscious like mm-hmm. you aren't even thinking about it it just mm-hmm. kind of happens mm-hmm. um and like you might catch yourself in the act of doing it but not as it starts mm-hmm. or like the things that are maybe are triggers that you don't even notice that they're triggers anymore yeah. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, and there's also the social component. So uh, oftentimes you can actually have a switch to um, where people are actually kind of empathizing for you for this sort of disorder. So there's a social sure. component that can come in there as well um, to where you're not necessarily like even if you are aware of it, you're mm-hmm. kind of getting this sort of uh, support. As yeah. Like it's something that's happening and it's kind of uncontrollable. Right. And that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that um, – People might be – I'm going to speculate a little bit in that I think in a common conversation, people might be a little more likely to be sort of scrutinizing of little things that you do and say. And if someone yeah. recognizes that there's like a habit or tick that you have, that kind of gives you a free pass out of the obligation of like behaving in a particular way in that conversation, which is not to say that everyone's like, I really just want to pick my nose and have an excuse <laughs> to do it while I'm talking to people. But to, but just to say that it makes it – it's it's – I'm going to say this, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but it's sort of enabling, and that the um, because the person is no longer under those kind of social obligations, that they recognize it. It just goes again into the sort of unconscious. I'm not paying attention to the fact that it's yeah. happening, sort of level. Mm-hmm. Good part of it. Yeah, cool. So that's the first part. So step one: awareness step one, training. Awareness training. Yes. Yep. Um, now step two is I said each habit movement should be interrupted, so it's no longer part of 
uh, the kind of chain of the normal things that are occurring. Okay. So like the sequence of, of behaviors that you're engaging in. Yeah. So okay. the same idea of uh, things can kind of be strengthened over time. They mm-hmm. can kind of link together. So disrupting that's very important. Okay. Cool. The third one would be a physically competing response. So something that actually competes with what you're already doing. Okay. So those, maybe we can give some examples. Yeah. How does that sound? I think it's perfect. So okay. I was thinking, um, going back to this idea of uh, the trichotillomania, the uh-huh. hair pulling thing. Um, so in that one, just look at what the movement is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And this one, you're using your hands, you're using your fingers specifically. So yeah. what would be a, a competing response or something that's incompatible that you could be doing with your hands that would block hair pulling? Yeah. So one that they kind of used consistently in the original source article was just clenching fists. Mm-hmm. Um, hard hard to get like fists can't really pull. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was the idea is clenching fists. Um, I think that might be a good first step. I mm-hmm. don't know if that's the best long term solution, but sure. it's definitely a place to start. One that's kind of similar to that that they did was uh, they focused on um, grasping objects, which again okay. sounds a little bit weird. So like I'm not just expecting someone to like hold some object and like walk around. Like a medicine Although ball. I have seen that in practice, um, and it to be effective, it's socially it's a little awkward, right? right? Um, so I've seen it to where like a, a client or a student was holding water bottles, mm-hmm. walk around with oh, water bottles around yeah. school. Not like, I'm super really thirsty, different, <laughs> but yeah. Um, not to mention the, the form of it was like up towards his chest. Oh, okay. So when you're walking around with two water bottles all day, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very different. Um, but what was cool is it, it did help immediately kind of like uh, cool. help them out. But what, something that's a little bit more normal for grasping objects, uh, holding a book, reading, those yeah. sort of things, oh, sure. right? That's so yeah, yeah, I think And you, it promotes reading. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, the source article was like so long ago. There's nothing like phones and technology and like yeah. that sort of stuff that was around. So this invention a, brought to you by Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities now for anything that's kind of phone based. Um, interesting side note. I wonder if general uh, things with people's hands like tick based or habits based on hands of decreases as a result of technology use. Oh yeah. I don't know. Phones. That's That'd funny. An interesting trend to kind of look at. Yeah. We yeah. have gotten so used to holding phones that like we have a naturally, like a built in oh, yeah. competing action. Yeah. That's like... Or if they've shifted to like more restless leg syndrome or like right. leg shaking or something like that right. kind of moves. Oh, so you're saying those things move, right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so some, some other things that I saw in terms of uh, like really modern stuff too is like even having a rubber band that you can play with. Um, people who fidget with toys, um, and I actually <laughs> those fidget cubes have blown up the past six months. Oh yeah, have you we seen those things. Oh, we have a we have a bunch of kids uh, that I'm working with now who have these things called fidget spinners, and it's just yeah, like it's just everywhere. a ball bearing with like things that spin around it, and they just flick them. Yeah, and I'm like, you gave an ADHD kid something to keep them distracted. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't probably seem... making a two thousand percent margin on it or something. <laughs> too. Yeah, but uh, but no, actually they're really cool and they're kind of fun. And I am um, I'm I'm a super fidgeter, so I yeah. I kind of want one. But. Yeah, my leg shakes all the time. As I record this episode, if you listen real closely, you might realize that the, the things kind of shake and then yeah. I stop. Or <laughs> shaking the microphone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the third one is a physically competing response. Okay. Um, and the goal there is just kind of like get some sort of interference with a habit, kind right. of stop it momentarily. Um, now, two other things that they talked about is like. There could actually be muscle atrophy, so like a decrease in the, the strength is how I think about that in like the muscles okay. and what they can kind of do um, as a result of not using certain muscles. So over time, this this can kind of develop. Um, and From the tick or from the competing response? From the tick. Okay. Uh, or the habit, I guess. I should say I, tick because I mean, not always ticks. Yeah, habits. sorry, the habit. It could, yeah. be, it could actually be either. 
at the end of the day. It's going to be two parts, I guess. Any part of that competing response mm -hmm. it needs to be there. But if there's anything that was indirectly weakened as a result of that habit, mm -hmm. um, I don't know specifics here, but I do know that it's very easy to, for things to become misaligned and out of whack if there's if there is issues in you know the muscular system. That's kind of I've, big. <laughs> yeah. So I guess yeah, it was very. So I guess this is outside of my expertise. So what I was getting at is like physical therapy and those sort of professions. Um, I've personally had an issue with my shoulder before that was a result of a weak back muscle. Mm -hmm. I had no clue it was a back muscle. It was my shoulder was pinching. Sure. Uh, going into a professional, they're like, yeah, here's the issue. This is what you need to train. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to sidestep around that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, bring it in, man. Does that make sense? I think now? people like specific examples. Yeah, okay. Does okay. that make more sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. That does make it much more. Yeah, okay. Um, so the point was, is, is there something weak that anatomically needs to be strengthened? And let's look at those. Let's not forget that side. Um, and then the last one, the fifth one, was social reinforcement um, should be reversed or eliminated is what they say. Okay. So. And not social reinforcement in terms of like reinforcement bad, but yeah. just in that the people yeah. who have sort of not, they've been in, more in support of this habit continuing yeah. and less um, involved in helping you to control it. So reverse it on to the, uh, the competing response. Yeah. Right? Okay. Or... Um, the, that would be the reversal part. Now, the eliminated part would be eliminating it from the support of the habit. Okay. Cool. So um, one thing I was looking at and I noticed in some of the research that I did from – because, I mean, you used a lot from that 1973 article. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that I noticed was because there's these five steps, it seemed – a lot of people were thinking this seems pretty complicated. I wonder if there are steps that we could eliminate. And so a lot of research was done throughout like the 90s and 80s and all of that that looked at isolating specific components yeah. of this therapy to try and see what is absolutely necessary and what are some things that maybe you can leave off. And what I found, at least in my research, was that um, awareness alone, just doing awareness training, works completely for some things mm -hmm. but not for other things. And I'll, I have an example, a personal example of uh, awareness being the only intervention that worked with my habit that I was able to deal with with habit reversal therapy. Yeah. Um, but for most of these other things, especially the ones that are like really the motor movement ticks um, that are that look and feel maybe uncontrollable, um, are uh, it, it requires the awareness training as well as the competing response, mm -hmm. um, which is – so. In the awareness training, I guess we didn't really mention this a whole lot, but a lot of the awareness training is being able to label the response and when it happens. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as it happens, be able to identify, oh, that was one that I just did. And and then self-monitoring, like actually like keeping track of it. Yeah. Either, like I actually, and I'll talk about mine later, had like a notebook. I kept track of it every mm -hmm. time it happened. Um, and so that's a part of it. And then in terms of the like noticing when it happens – there was another step that I saw in mind that they called stimulus control, but I, I don't see how it's really different from the awareness training part because the whole thing where they mentioned in this article about stimulus control just meant identifying the triggers. So in the location that it's likely to take place, what are the visual things that are taking place? What are the What's the activity that you're doing? Yeah. Is there like an internal experience that you have that precedes it and like yeah. sort of warns you? And is there anything external that happens that sort of works like a trigger? So just really analyzing your situation that you're specifically exactly. experiencing. Yeah, cool. and the, the whole context because no one knows better than the person who has this habit and maybe that's, you know, you who's listening right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, what it's like to have that habit. And, uh, and it's going to be 
pretty much different for everyone, be, yeah. especially because these things can have triggers that are really unique to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, those you can identify the internal ones and the external ones that are all related to um, when these ticks are about to occur. And if you can identify that and you can prevent it, that seems to be like the most critical steps of this whole thing. And the other ones help too. But those those are the ones I saw in the research where it's like you need these two things. Okay. And then the other things can help, but at least these two things are like these there's necessary and sufficient. So awesome. for most things. Cool. So where are we going next? Um, my next thought was to actually go into my own story about this. Okay. Um, but if you had something else you want to tackle first on like no, the actual end of that's it. That's perfect. Let's jump into it. Okay. So the habit that I had was fingernail biting. Um, so it's not nearly like the level I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even described myself as suffering from a habit mm-hmm. at all, but, and it's not nearly the level of people who have like a Tourette syndrome and, and stuttering and things that are, um, uh, that feel a lot less easy to control. Um, but it still was like, you know, my fingers were bleeding constantly and my, I was cutting, I was biting my nails down to the point where they were like just way too short. Yeah. Um, and I, I know a lot of people do, uh, deal with this too. And so I originally had designed this big – I didn't know about habit reversal therapy at the time. Mm-hmm. I designed this big comprehensive psychological intervention that was going to do all of these things for it. But the first thing I was going to do was try and get an idea of how often it was really happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, So I got this little tiny steno pad that I like kept in my back pocket yeah. and I just always had a pen on me. And every time that I would bite my fingernails, I would stop, pull out my steno pad, make a tally mark and then put it away. Okay, And I did this and I saw a 60% reduction per day. Starting with the, um, starting with the day one to day two, day two to day three, um, and I mean, I know it feels like that'd be one hundred twenty percent by day two, but just acknowledge that like a sixty percent reduction from the day before. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, yeah, but um, yeah. And so by the end of about two weeks, I was at one or zero, and that maintained um, with my continuing to track it. Yeah. With no other intervention. Like I didn't nice. have to put anything else in place. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I continued to track it for a few more weeks and I eventually just kind of stopped and it maintained for months after mm-hmm. that. And it started to come back a little bit, um, but I was able to – and like I still even – I ended this probably last July or so. And I, I started chewing a little bit on my fingernails and skin around them again. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so much more under control than it has ever been. Like ever in my life. Yeah, that's but, really cool. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty happy, and I like sometimes I'll just like look at my fingernails and I'm like, oh, you're not these tattered shreds that you used to be. <laughs> now you're long and you have dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's actually never just. I this is something I did, didn't anticipate was when you have long fingernails, how much dirt gets under them. Yeah, because they're never, never long enough to have dirt underneath them. I don't like it. Nice. Um, so I have to like now clip them down. Cool. But um, so that was my story and my experience with it. And for me, like I said, the awareness training, just knowing when it happened and yeah. keeping track of it, like that was yeah. that turned it off completely. Yeah. So, yeah, mine, which um, I haven't even shared with you much, I don't think, but I know some people have, like, caught on to it a little bit, was... Alcoholism. <laughs> yeah, right. Just no. kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so my habit was actually, I think it starts as a result of, like, being just in a dry environment okay. uh, growing up in Nevada. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what the event was, and I wasn't around for it. But essentially, my nose gets real dry. Mm-hmm. And as a result, like, the feeling of kind of, like touching it mm-hmm. and especially on the sides yeah. kind of re- produces this like immediately re- relief from it really quick. Mm-hmm. But actually with the process of doing that just makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go through these bits where I'll just be like all up on touching my nose and all the time, like meetings, driving, social situations. Like I really don't care. Yeah. Uh, I do notice more and more. I've noticed more and more over years. Um, 
And the biggest thing for me was uh, I didn't ever take data and track it, but I would definitely notice from people pointing it out. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things I didn't have much social support for. It actually get pointed out every once in a while. Yeah. A lot of my family would just like, my family actually doesn't point it out too often. It would, it would be other people um, that I had like recently met or whatnot. So it was through those sort of like social awareness opportunities where I kind of realized. Um, and the biggest thing that helps me is when I'm busy, mm-hmm just consistently busy because I like to do a lot of different things, yeah. it'll drop completely. Oh, so that's um, why you're so busy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so if, yeah, so if I have like a couple days around, um, like most recently I spent a couple days with family, I was busy with them, but I wasn't using my hands a lot of things. So I'm off yeah. on my phone, computer. Yeah. I do something like 12 hours a day on a phone or computer. It's ridiculous. I love it. Sounds I like don't think it's an issue for me, honestly. <laughs> that's great. But I love like, and it's, Yeah. I want to get into like technology someday from that perspective. I don't know how this might not be the medium. Um, but I think, you know, actually in the, the class I'm teaching, there was a whole section of a chapter on like how is technology affecting today's youth sort of thing. Okay. And so, so maybe I, it is. Yeah, I think it'd be yeah. fun. I think there's, there's some things to unpack in there yeah. and address like, yeah, but that's future. Yeah. So I guess what I was getting at is like, I went from, you know, a 12 hour day where uh, I'm on the phone or computer and doing stuff mm-hmm. and interacting and then, you know, doing other things, driving, going to places, working, um, to, I just had a couple days where I was sitting in a town where I literally had almost no service. Um, and I was doing things that are toy out of my typical, uh, daily pattern and yeah. that thing popped right back up. Nice. And <laughs> well, <not> nice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so like as we're recording this episode, like just for the listeners, like we selected this before, like it just coincidentally happened. Yeah. Right. Nice. Um, that we selected this topic Boom. and I'm like a couple days into like practicing, like don't touch my nose because it's nice. just making the problem worse. Cool. I'm a day or two out from it and I've like refixed it over and over and over again in my own life. So yeah, that's a, another one that I, I do and anyone who knows me has seen me do and yeah. anyone who sees me at some point in life, like we'll probably like consistently will see me do again. It just comes back and. Um, as a result of those sort of things. So, so your family is a bunch of enablers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but not in a bad way. Like okay. it just wasn't competing. It wasn't important enough to, you know, really get on me about. There was clearly other things that they were helping me figure out. Cool. Yeah. So I just want to before we move on to the last couple things I want that we we're going to talk about. Just make sure we hit those steps that we addressed were so if you wouldn't mind just reading off the list that you had of the five the five steps and then i'll go over the three or the two that i had i guess cool yeah so real quickly there are uh awareness training getting awareness of the the habit actually occurring cool um interrupting the movement um and the kind of normal chain or movements that normally happen okay. so disrupting that yeah um some sort of physically competing response can go in and kind of follow that disruption is the third one fourth one is if there's any sort of um changes in the the, especially the muscles, muscular structure, mm-hmm. um, any sort of atrophy, as they call it, um, which is just kind of decreased or weaknessing of the muscles. Um, that needs to be noted if it's a case professional brought in and helps um, consulting on, like, how to strengthen those sort of things. And okay. then the last one would be social reinforcements or kind of reward and um, uh, acknowledgement of these sort of habits needs to be reversed either onto the competing response mm-hmm. or um, eliminated or and or eliminated for the habit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's sort of praise and um, such, which is one thing we didn't hit earlier that I wanted to hit on. And that that's a very natural thing to, I think, um, support somebody through, especially if it's a medically kind of induced habit, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Like yeah. that, I think I didn't want to, I just want to make sure we're real clear on like these things. Um, like it's, it, I think it's very natural and it's very caring. It's actually very cool that people support 
right? Mm-hmm. Like a family would support somebody through something that pops up, especially medically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's totally natural. So when we say it kind of gets around this enable part, like, right. I think it's a natural thing to enable and it's not a bad thing, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really just us being supporting. Um, actually, my wish that people enabled more often in those sort of <laughs> situations, right? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, those are five. And you're three? Oh, so just that um, some of the more more recent research that looked at the components of this that were the important things, they found that awareness um, with stimulus control, I guess those things kind of hang together, and um, and competing response were uh, necessary and often sufficient to to be the effective component. So at least focusing on those. But I think, again, just mentioning that you can take these tools, you can try and use them, but um, we're not saying that if you follow these steps as we've laid them out, <laughs> that we're going to cure you and then you can therefore sue us when we don't cure you. Um, but, you know, if you want this, then go see a professional who can do it. And yeah. uh, they'll be able to help you and train you so that you can sort of take it and run with it and you'll be successful whenever you run into a habit you're trying to get rid of. Perfect. Cool. So um, the last part I thought would be really necessary for us to touch on before we wrap up here is to um, talk about why this would work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are we changing in the psychology of it? So, you know, yeah. it took me a while to figure out because just because I've been in this field for so long, like saying the psychology of it didn't mean anything to me. So it took yeah. me a while to like get back close enough to sort of the mainstream, uh, how, what, how people talk about this to even understand what they're asking me when they say, what's the psychology of it? Like, yeah, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, um, to talk about like how, how do we understand like these ticks and these behaviors? We talked a little bit of you, actually, you did a great job laying out how they start to develop and some of those yeah. things, but like, why would just bringing awareness to it do anything? Why is the competing response necessary? And so just talking about it in that way, um, and, and bringing it back inside of this, you know, conceptual framework of yeah. psychology, you know, what, how does it work? So, and what are your thoughts on this? Why does this work? So, what do we want to start with? Do we want to start with uh, the awareness or the competing response? Uh, I think the whole the whole package. Um, and actually, as I asked you that, I was expecting you to like have a right answer. Yeah. I re- I was thinking of an answer on my own. Okay. So, if you want to start with yeah, that, yeah, okay, go for it. So, one of the things um, I was thinking of in terms of why this would work, and uh, and they they preface this in some of the articles. I didn't mention it um, before, but they talk about this thing called a functional analysis. And what okay. they, what they mean is identifying the circumstances that um, both cause and maintain the tick in the first place, okay? And so there are, what's the function of this behavior yeah. is what that's supposed to mean. And um, so what is going on with the habit reversal therapy and why it would work is because it's getting at why that tick started in the first place, how it developed, and what's and how it's being maintained. So uh-huh. it's like going like right at the what's, what's the cause, so to say, you know, yeah. so to speak. Um, Someone might say, or the underlying condition here. Yeah. Um, and so the, the whole idea is that y- you look at like, okay, this often, as you mentioned, starts as something small and builds up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and it has a particular muscular pattern and it happens usually with certain triggers and can have certain consequences. Like yeah. it can feel relieving or it can mm-hmm. be distracting or there's other things that can be going on. And so if you look at for the person, um, like, okay, we see there's a definite action that we can look at here. Um, how do we change that action? Mm-hmm. Well, do something that's the opposite of that. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and we also look at, like, what are the triggers? Um, the, the thing about the triggers, and this is really important, is that they're probably always going to be there. Yep. So what we need to do now is change the effect of those triggers and make it so when they would occasion that 
habit yes. that instead we have trained a new way of responding to those triggers. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Cool. And so um, basically if you look at it in the context of what are the triggers for you, both internally and externally, mm-hmm. that are causing that behavior to occur, let's those triggers aren't going away. Yeah. We're not going to like, you know, remove you from your home and bury mm-hmm. you in a hole and be like, well, you're safely packed in dirt now. You can't do this habit. Um, <laughs> you know, instead what we're going to do is we're going to find like the triggers are there. Like let's just make them cause a different type of behavior that's more acceptable and more appropriate and works better for your lifestyle. Yeah. And that's a big part of the social reversal part. Yeah. If the sure. social uh, component is part of why it's maintaining. Yeah, absolutely. You want to tie that into the replacement or the competing response. Um, so that it gets the same effect. I like it's functionally yeah. the same. Yeah, right? like exactly right. About. Cool. Yeah, so that, that's why it's important to understand sort of what, what is the function for of that behavior for that person. Yeah. And um, so this brings up, I think, maybe a, a little heavier topic of like, how do how does uh, cognition factor into this? I know you actually found some great stuff on this in terms of like, do we need to get out your thoughts and your yeah. uh, your impulses? Like, is that where we need to be targeting our intervention? Because I'm sure a lot of people have that thought and uh, and different views of psychology have had that thought. So what did you find on this? Yeah, so going way back into like the 40s, there were some people who look at um, habits, and they used to be called more tics back then. Okay. Um, so that's why I keep using that, sorry. Um, no, I mean, some, some of them are tic disorders. So yeah. I think it's fair. Yeah, but yeah you're right. This habit. before they really conceptualized and classified a lot of this stuff as okay. well. Um, but they kind of talking about is, um, kind of these erotic or aggressive instinctual impulses, which are kind of, <laughs> kind of crazy, right? Um, <laughs> and they would talk about is they would escape through psychological discharge is how they talk about them. Okay. Um, yeah. And the kind of treatment from this was really just try to persuade the clients that the, um, and give them some sort of insight to how to kind of channel these impulses elsewhere. So like, I'm going to talk you out of your Tourette syndrome. Yeah, um, so it was the basic psychoanalytic approach. Okay. And um, that hints on, you know, kind of touches back on what we talked about with uh, what is behavior and the kind of cognitive behavioral approach. Well, I, um, I was just thinking that as you were saying that this brings up this issue of like, is our our mental behavior somehow fundamentally different from the behaviors that like we show where people can observe them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, based on this idea of the functional analysis and looking at what is the entire context in which the behavior occurs, uh-huh. um, like, no, it's not different. Like all of those things are part of the same event. So if you try and put the cause of the behavior onto your behavior, well then what caused that behavior? Like yeah. what's the cause of the yeah. cause? Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. And instead, <laughs> uh, I mean, it just, it goes into the circle of nothingness because your answer is always the same as your, um, yeah. your problem. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't know, it's, it's that circular reasoning that we talked about in that yeah. issue, that mm-hmm. uh, episode we did. And, and it's like it doesn't explain anything. Yeah. And furthermore, it's like I can't change your impulses because I don't I don't know what where they are. I don't know yeah. how they're in there. And I, I don't think it's ever really actually been effective to talk someone out of their uh their yeah. problem they're dealing with in terms of yeah. like a, a tick motor disorder. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the the other approach was looking at it and kind of conceptualizing it as this uh, sort of tension that is occurring. Okay. Um and that's where they had the two types. I alluded to one of them where they looked at uh, kind of tranquilizing drugs mm-hmm. as an approach towards it. Um, but found that wasn't effective, right? Um, they, I mean, it might be temporarily while you're sedated. <laughs> yeah, it was a treatment, but it wasn't a systemic fix. It wasn't a okay. 99%. Right, yeah, sure. Uh, right? As effective as a bat to the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. The meta-analyses on these kind of looking at all the different research showed that the one that we've been talking about today mm-hmm. is the one that works the best. Okay. Um, hands down. So it's not – and I, this one actually – I think this makes more conceptual sense looking at it in terms of like – 
there are clearly muscle movements that are going on that are usually jerky and they're fast yeah. and like there there involves a tension of the muscle. Yes. So like let's go after the tensing yeah. muscle, which I mean that makes that makes more conceptual sense yep. to me. I think the problem that it has is that's a little too narrow yep. and it just doesn't focus on all the components of sure. what's going on. For yeah, and one other way they kind of approach that too was looking at uh, can we have them negatively practice it so repeat it over and over again. Oh yeah. Um, and see uh, how that would work, which. Um, the idea was it would reduce the tension mm -hmm. and um, there could be some byproducts as to why that might work yeah. but at the end of the day if that's also tying in the reward or the reinforcer of the situation, right? Right. Now we've just kind of strengthened it or at least maintained it. Well, right? then so, behaviors thing. that you practice more, you do more usually. Yeah. So, so like if there were, those muscles were already strong and maybe stronger than they need to be because yeah. you do them so much because yeah. of this habit, then it's like you're just making them all the more stronger. Uh -huh. It reminds me of like Bobo doll experiment where it's like, um, like, oh, just, I, well, maybe it wasn't Bobo doll, but it was something where it was like, go get out your aggression and beat up this dummy. Yeah. And so like those kids were even more aggressive afterwards and like yeah. you just taught them how to punch better. <laughs> yeah. Like you weren't yeah. getting rid of it. Yeah. Um, so the third theoretical account was looking at them as like learned responses, which is very similar to what we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. They're influenced by things. Um, but it was more in the early days of uh, sort of behavioral modification days where they were focusing a lot on um, what we call aversive treatments. So things that just weren't uh, pleasant yeah. to be experiencing. And we learned quickly, we as as in like uh, psychology learned very quickly right. over time that those weren't the most effective ways to treat things. Yeah. Um, Go with that function-based approach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And missing kind of the, that, yeah, the function-based tying in the kind of reversal of things. Um, and, and then what I mean by that is like you need to, when we're talking about the reversal of habits, like tying in the social re reinforcement for that they were getting, whatever they were getting for the. Uh, original habit mm -hmm. for the competing response. I gotcha. So that part, um, yeah. So that kind of is what led Azrin and uh, Nun Nun yeah. to their sort of uh, approach to to looking at what you know habits how we've described. And how did there was another author um, that you had mentioned um, by the name of Gold Diamond who dealt with stuttering specifically. Yeah. So Gold Diamond. I need to figure out a way that we can really dive into his work and figure out where it kind of fits. He was an amazing guy. Um, and I only really want to bring him up. Uh, he did a lot of work in here, but a mm -hmm. lot of his work just wasn't perpetually kind of carried out yeah. and like shown. It's unfortunate because well. I've definitely seen how effective some of it was when he used it. Um, it's yeah. just wasn't really, didn't reach a, a large audience. Yeah. So this was one of them where, uh, it looked like he was getting into my under, my understanding of reading a lot of his stuff is it looked he would kind of get into these uh, arguments I think theoretically with other okay. folks and that would kind of fuel <laughs> sounds like my kind of guy <laughs> yeah and it would fuel where he fuel where he was going mm -hmm. and so I'm pretty sure this is where this would originate I can kind of fact check that um, but what it was is he was basically showing the reason I think that is he was showing not only can uh, one kind of work on helping people through these sort of practices. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also shape it up. Goldheim was trying to show that uh, our language and can be influenced by consequences, essentially, and like right. rewards and those sort of things. 
And so what you were saying that he was able to like make stuttering start to occur. He made stuttering start to occur and then he could treat <laughs> it mean. thereafter. Yes. Okay. Now this was in the, this I was can... in the early days and there was consent um, okay. sort of thing. So I can imagine like being someone who's like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm not telling you what, what you're doing, but yeah. when you leave here, you're going to hate me and you're going to hate your life. He was, yeah, he was proving a <laughs> but point. But I'll fix you too. His point was to prove a point. Yeah. He was trying to prove a point that it, it was, it was, it could be influenced by those sort of social things. I mean, it's kind of cool. Um, I think you'd have a hard time Cool on the science side, yeah. Right. On the other side of things, potentially very dangerous yeah. uh, to be shaping up. Although I imagine there's probably people out there who are like, "Yeah, man, do that to me." Like, yeah, throw, <laughs> throw me in this challenge. So with the yeah, so with the stuttering, what he found was the timing was actually important, um, and it was kind of the cadence of the speaking. Okay. So with his work, um, he actually showed that you could slow down the rate of speaking to allow for that natural stuttering to kind kind <laughs> of occur. Right? just offended all of our stuttering audience. No, not at all. <laughs> I hope not. What it is, you slow it down to where that's a part of your natural uh, interaction, mm-hmm. right? That so makes you'd sense. actually slow down language to mm-hmm. that sort of level, and then you work on systematically bringing it back up. When, when they're doing it at the without having to deal with the rep, repeat, repeated sounds. Yes, exactly. Um, I didn't do that on purpose, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was an accident. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. And anyone out there who does have those sort of things, like actually a very close uh, colleague of mine up in Canada, um, acknowledges and really supports his stutter. And it's not a thing that he actually wants to work on. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I've known some people, yeah, who had stutters that like, they were like, this is just mm-hmm. the way I talk and I have no problem with yeah. that. I'm like, and I'm right, like, I have yeah. no problem with it either. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's something that kind of gets that, that's where dignity we should hit someday on like the yeah. psychological perspective of dignity. Cause I there's agree. been a lot of people trying to say like, Oh, X should be, you know, or this behavior should be treated by X or whatnot. And that's yeah. not how the world goes. That's not right. how we should be approached. And that's not how any of my practices, sure. do you want to work on it? Um, right. You know, that yeah, should yeah. be the first thing. I completely um, agree. Except for very certain circumstances of dangerous life situations, and whatnot, sure. those things change. But yeah, so Gold Diamond um, would definitely be able to include some of his uh, work that's publicly accessible in the show notes. Okay, and um, he's not an easy person to read and jump into, but it's there. Cool. Okay, so before we wrap up, uh, I think I just wanted to just come back to this idea of what we're talking about. How does this fit inside of uh, the psychological framework? How do we understand this in terms of psychology? Yeah. And the last thing I'm sure that probably some people are wondering about is how does this relate to the brain? And although I didn't specifically do any research on like um, what the neurological aspects of this, I wanted to approach it. I, I mean, I didn't really plan to because I wanted to approach it from this conceptual angle, which is like in general, how does the brain tie in with behaviors that we do? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I think we talked about this before Yeah. because the brain is part of everything that we do. Like without it, <laughs> we're never doing anything without uh-huh. the use of our brain. Actually, I had to correct someone yeah. on this with like, sometimes the brain is involved and sometimes it's not. I'm like, yeah. nope, it's 100% involved all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if you, if you are alive, your brain is involved with what it's doing. Yeah. And that's because it's part of the every, entire process. All hundred percent of it, not the 10. Yeah. That's the, right. That whole fallacy. That's yeah. Oh man, I wonder if we should tackle that. I feel like most people know at this point that that's not a real thing. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll touch on it when we do more like yeah. the brain scan that sort of thing. Yeah. But anyway, so in terms of like the ha- like why would it work? Well, let's imagine that as as the brain is involved in this in everything that you do, it's also then involved in this habit. Mm-hmm. And the more that you do something, the more it's going to build the um, the neural connections that exist that are part of the context of that habit and part of the biology of it. Okay? Yeah. So as you 
recognize those cues and you practice those competing responses, you're literally just creating a new type of connection that's related to those triggers, to those cues, yeah. and the context of your brain set up for those uh, what, you, what were habits. So, And I think that's probably one of the reasons this endures so well mm-hmm. is you're not tackling it from the one angle of just like <laughs> – Let's pretend that impulses cause this. Like, we're yeah. going after the impulse part of this. Yeah. It's because, like, by all accounts, these aren't, like, language-based disorders where I'm like, you know what? I feel like I'm going to develop a tick today. And then you, yep. like, talk yourself into yeah. it. Um, these, are, these are habits that form over the, you know, with experience and with these triggers and with these life events that take place yeah. for, the, for most people. And even if they start really, really early on, like, again, the brain is involved. And so going after the elements of this that the brain is going to be involved in are going to be your best way of addressing it systemically. Yeah. And so, again, the brain doesn't explain it because the brain is just a part of it. Like the other things are part of it. It's sort of like saying like the triggers don't even really explain it. They're just Mm -hmm. a part of the whole circumstance under which it occurs. And so um, it's important to highlight, I think, that those of you who are interested in understanding like – does the brain causing this to happen? Well, I mean, kind of knowing yes, because the brain is just a part of this this thing, and so it's no more a cause than the triggers of the cause or the action itself is the cause. It's uh, it's a part of the variables that all maintain and are part of the shaping process in which it develops. Yeah, perfect. Cool. Anything else? I think that's it. Sweet man. I think we I think we actually handled it pretty well. I feel like we covered yeah. everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Okay. We'll, I'm happy uh, with this one. <laughs> we'll see how the comments are yeah. and what sort of feedback we get. Someone's not happy with this one, sure. So. All right, cool. Well, thank you for listening. This has been uh, Why We Do What We Do. Signing off with your host, Abraham. And Ryan O. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. <laughs>